Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm Dr. Nadia Mohandesi, and I'm the program manager for the Emergency Management Continuous Improvement Program, or MSIP. And we're going to be talking today about the temporary roofing mission, commonly known as Operation Blue Roof. And we have with us today Josh Marks and Patsy Fletcher. So, Josh, what do you do for the Corps? I'm the Temporary Roofing Program Manager. And what that is is leading the uh, planning and response teams that execute the Temporary Roofing Program. The uh, planning and response teams are commonly referred to as PRTs. They're out of Omaha District, St. Louis District, Nashville District, and the Little Rock District. And they're the ones that actually execute the mission. I kind of provide the over arcing support from Northwestern Division, who's the proponent division for the roofing mission, provide the training. I also deploy downrange to assist the teams when they start up the mission. But generally, anything roofing is, is what I'm involved with for the FEMA responses. Okay, great. And Patsy, how about you? What do you do for the Corps? I work for headquarters as a member of the Emergency Support Function 3 Permanent Cadre, and as one of my duties, I'm closely aligned with Josh on the temporary roofing program to provide any support I can with that. Okay, great. Well, thank you guys so much both for being here today. And I think this is a really fun discussion because even if folks who are listening to this who think they don't know what the temporary roofing program is, I'm betting they probably have seen it and just not known it because Operation Blue Roof for the temporary roofing mission, that's the mission that we perform in support of FEMA that leaves those kind of blue tarps or blue plastic sheeting over homes after disasters. So you've probably seen them on the news or seen them in pictures after hurricanes, but we wanted talk a little bit more about the mission, give some folks a little deeper understanding about what it is we actually do. I guess let's start at the beginning. Patsy, can you just kind of tell me what this mission is in a nutshell? How did we get where we are today with it? Well, the mission itself, as you mentioned, we support FEMA, and it is actually part of their public assistance program because they consider it sheltering in place. So the primary purpose of the mission is to allow people to stay in their homes or return to their homes instead of staying in shelters. Secondary is to prevent any further damage to the homes. So I've been involved with this mission really since 2004. I was an assistant team leader for the Florida Four hurricanes that hit that year. And then during Hurricane Katrina, I was the emergency manager for Memphis District, who was in charge of executing all the FEMA missions in Louisiana. So I have had the opportunity to see it come a long way. In my current position, I've been involved with the temporary roofing program since 2008 when I became a member of the permanent cadre, and I've seen tremendous strides in improving the way that we deliver the program and how we've made it faster. Okay, and this is not a mission that after a landfall, a hurricane comes through, and we, the Corps of Engineers, decide to go out there and start handing out blue plastic sheeting, right? So can you explain a little bit about how we actually receive this mission, who we're supporting, and kind of what that looks like? Well, with the mission, it is definitely one that has to be requested by the state. They do have a call share. If we are putting on roofs, it's considered a direct federal assistance mission. Often FEMA may mission assign us early to have at least a planning cell on the ground. But when it comes to actually putting on roofs, we have to have the state request because it is call shared. And then FEMA has to agree to that. 
for a county to be eligible or a parish. Our two most recent missions were in Louisiana, so I have to think in terms of parish also. But for them to be eligible, they have to be designated for both individual assistance and public assistance by FEMA. So, number one, the state has to ask for it. Number two, FEMA has to mission assign us. And three, we have to get mission assignment task orders telling us what parishes or counties we can perform the mission. And it's not actually core personnel who are out putting on the roofs. We do have contracts in place, advanced contract initiative, ACI contracts in place. And when we receive that direct federal assistance mission, that's when we can really bring out those crews. So that's a great segue, because once we get that mission assignment, I'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through, um, maybe Josh, what's mission execution look like? What's an overview? You know, if someone is not familiar with this mission and doesn't know kind of the cadence of it, what does that look like for folks? Right. So it starts first, uh, usually before landfall, FEMA will request some technical assistance as far as the SMEs or subject matter experts to come down from the roofing program to provide guidance on what the storm damages are. So right out of the gate, typically a team, the responding planning response team uh, will have their management cell and myself. Uh, We'll go down and and support. Uh, We'll try and get a good feel for what the damages are. And that could be the team flying. It could be just reviewing aerial imagery that's provided, you know, right after the storm. NOAA will fly. Uh, So we'll do a a sampling, rough sampling, and make a recommendation to FEMA and the state that we think that there's a federal project here. And what we're looking at is usually we want to see volume of damages to get the federal government involved because our contracts ramp up to 200 plus roofs per day for installation. So naturally you're looking at a mission that's, you know, we like to see at about 10,000 roofs to have that federal hook, uh, so to speak. So once we do that assessment, as Patsy alluded to, we'll make the recommendation to the state, and the state will request it. FEMA will authorize us. The first thing we'll do is we'll send down a pretty robust team from the planning response teams to start executing. Uh, There's a heavy lift right out of the gate. So we're looking at the planning response teams are typically about 40 people will come down from the district, and then we'll start bringing in the quality assurance inspectors that are throughout USACE. So any district has the ability to support once we go enterprise-wide with the quality assurance inspectors. But what we'll have to do, we've got to find a warehouse so that all of the plastic sheeting that's installed by our contractors uh, is government furnished. So FEMA will provide us the plastic sheeting. We warehouse it, and we provide that to the contractors to install. We're also right out of the gate look for a facility to work from. And in past experiences, it could be a shopping mall, it could be a, a hotel a ballroom, it could be a district office that's not being used. But that's where we'll start the execution. And the current program, the way it is now, uh, it's really kind of a mini district that's operating. So we need a lot of space. Uh, we have to interface with contractors as well. So heavy lift to try and get those facilities And then as we bring in the QAs, there's a big, what we like to see is to calibrate everybody on the mission. So we have a training regiment that we utilize. So each one of the QAs that come in, we'd like to do an eight-hour training session with them, get them calibrated to what's on the ground, get them aware of the nuances of what they'll see and provide them with the training so that they can do accurate assessments of the actual damages. And that's what the QAs are there for. They're going to be going out into the field or doing remote assessments. And I can talk more on some of the nuances of that. 
but they are the execution part of the core. So they'll do the assessments. Those assessments turn into work orders that we provide to the contractors. And then ultimately, the contractors will install based on the assessments that the Corps of Engineers provide. So Josh and Patsy, if I'm a homeowner and the hurricane has just passed through and, and I my roof is damaged and I think I need a temporary roof, what does that look like for me? You mentioned a bunch of steps, but that seems kind of behind the scenes. What are those big steps to this mission for a homeowner? Well, first of all, the homeowner will have to sign a, a right of entry form. We commonly call those ROEs. They'll have to fill out an ROE and they can do so online. Uh, So we have a very uh, quick process for them to fill it out from their computer or from their smartphone. It usually takes about 30 to 45 seconds for them to sign up for the program. They can also call our hotline, which is 888-ROOFBLUE. That's R-O-F-B-L-U. They can call and they can sign up that way. And then finally, we also push out some of our internal core vehicles into the neighborhoods where maybe the internet's down, the cell service isn't working, and we uh, go through the neighborhoods and have people sign up out in the field. So we try and reach as many people as possible. We have a big outreach with the media. We have a big outreach with uh, social media. Uh, Just try and let everybody know that the Corps of Engineers has the program and that we're eager to assist those that are in need. Right. And that online sign-up system has really improved the process so that we know we can kind of get a a feel for the order of magnitude of how many people are going to sign up. In the past, people had to go to right of entry collection centers and sign a physical piece of paper, you know, six-piece carbon paper. And there was a delay of really 24 hours before that got from the right of entry collection center back to what we would call the recovery field office. And then we'd have people working at night, taking all that information and typing it into a system, a lot of times a spreadsheet database, as we would call it, to keep track of that, where Josh has taken this program to a place where people can sign up online without ever having to leave. Other improvements have also helped, but I think the main one that really helps the team in knowing what the order of magnitude for the overall program is going to be is that very first step of how many people sign up. And this past year, I think we saw 15,000 people sign up in the first 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. And that's a great point on improvements because I know there's been so many improvements in this mission over the past even just two or three years that has really significantly accelerated the pace of our mission execution and our um, mission startup. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of our recent missions. You guys were in Louisiana for Hurricane Ida this past year in 2021, and then, of course, Hurricanes Laura and Delta in 2020. I know there were significant improvements made even just between those two seasons. So, Josh, Patsy, I was wondering if you could kind of explain some of those. Yeah, I guess maybe it's best to start from the beginning of my career as a program manager. I started working in 2017 in this program, and lo and behold, 17 was one of our busiest years. Uh, It was our busiest year for the program, and that was the first iteration of taking it from paper to being digitized uh, or doing a digital, and it was a what we called the field management system, or FMS, and that was the first iteration that we used. And it started in uh, Hurricane Irma in Florida. 
We made some improvements when we moved out to Puerto Rico for Hurricane Maria, all in the same year. But it was a homegrown application. It was very robust. One of those types of applications that when it was first developed, it was an incredible product, but it hadn't been used. So when I first took the position, it had been 2008 until the current year of 2017. So we'd gone nine years without a mission, and consequently the application had gone seven years without any further development. And so technology changes in, in seven years. And we were successful with it, but there were a lot of nuances within the system. So in 2018, we had another mission, which was Hurricane Michael, again in Florida. And we'd made some big improvements in FMS, but it was still based on the older technology. That allowed us to do some good work, but it was fundamentally something that was holding us back just based on the older technology. So we continued to refine field management system, or FMS. And in 2020, actually it was after the 2018 season, the UCOP, USACE Common Operating Picture, funded development of what is currently called the Blue Roof Management System now. And that was rolled out in 2020 for Hurricane Laura and Delta. We had some growing pains with that, uh, but within about 10 days of the mission, it, it was working as intended, and it had a lot of flexibility to be able to get real-time data, uh, and improvements continue to be made in the Blue Roof Management System. Uh, it gives real-time data. It, it allows for, uh, you know, Patsy alluded to signing up online, a very quick, efficient way to sign up online. And what that really does when you get somebody to be able to sign up online is we had 15,000 ROEs that we acquired within 24 hours. Historically, what would happen is we'd stand up these ROE collection centers where, you know, you're at a Walmart or a Lowe's and you've got tables and chairs and signing people up. Well, you had to get word out where you were at, so you had to advertise where you're at. So we would see ROEs come in and it would usually peak about two weeks into the mission. Now we peak on day one, so we're much better off forecasting or scoping the mission because we know what's coming in and we know that it's going to drop. In 2020, we did Hurricane Laura, obviously. We also did Delta and then in Hurricane Ida. And each one of those cases, the biggest day input for ROEs was on day one. So we're very comfortable with that. Josh, I have a real quick question about ROEs, just kind of as an interlude here, because I don't want to give the wrong impression. Just because a homeowner signs an ROE does not mean that they will be eligible or qualify for the temporary roofing program. Is that correct? That's correct. We have a number of disqualifying questions, so some of them can't sign up if they're, they're, it's a disqualifying question. They have to live in the home certain amount of damages. So when they sign up, that just gives us the notice that we're able to go on their property and we're able to do the assessment. But there's often times that we'll go out and assess it. They'll have too much damages or the roof just doesn't have enough damages because what we do does cause additional damage to roofs when you're putting nails in. Maybe this is a good time to describe how we install the roof. What we install on the, for the temporary roof is a 20 by 100 foot sheet of plastic sheeting, a roll of plastic sheeting. And the way the contractors install it is they'll roll out the sheets. Any damages that are on the roof, we like to extend it two feet over that, the damages. We will roll the plastic around the edges with furring strips or one by twos. We'll hammer that, nail that into the roof, and then we'll put every six foot spacing, we'll have additional furring strips that are put on the roof. So if the homeowner doesn't have a lot of damage, it may be doing more damage to them since we're putting penetrations into their roof. 
Nadia, sometimes we may have somebody go out or, or we can identify it sometimes from aerial imagery taken after the storm where perhaps there are a lot of trees in the area and there are trees on the roof and it, it's beyond what we're capable of doing under our program. And that's that QA piece, right? That correct. quality assurance? Yes, correct. That is the part of the QA process. We do ask that question ahead of time, but sometimes people may not think it's that major of a tree limb on the house when actually it is. Right. We're looking at, this is a a mass care program, so we want to be able to quickly go in and service as many people as quickly as possible. So the debris, for instance, we have the ability to remove debris, but it's something that we want it to be quick removal of debris. If we're required to go out and use hoisting, lifting, you know, equipment to take the tree off, then that's really outside of the scope of what we're trying to do since we're trying to expedite things. Okay. And you mentioned aerial assessments, you know, looking at aerial imagery. I know that's one of the major innovations that has happened in recent years. Could you walk us through that? How do we utilize aerial imagery in assessments and in just in scoping the mission? Yeah, so we have a contract that was awarded following the 2018 mission in Hurricane Michael. What the contract is, is it's for a roof report. In that roof report, the contractor gives us a picture of the house, a photo, aerial imagery of the house before the storm. They provide us aerial imagery of the house after the storm, and then they give us a complete measurement of the roof. And so this has allowed us to do assessments away from the disaster area. So For instance, in Hurricane Laura, we had Omaha District doing remote assessments. For Ida, we had Omaha and St. Louis doing the remote assessments, as well as some others that were experienced. Uh, So people sitting from their own computers at, you know, I think some were working from their own home, others were working from their offices. But that ability to quickly look at the house, have that imagery available, do the assessment uh, has been instrumental in getting us ahead of the curve because so our contractors are required at a minimum to get to 200 plus roofs per day. In order for the contractor to get to 200 plus roofs per day, the Corps of Engineers has to at least produce that many work orders. And what we like to see is we like to have our contractors have a queue of five to 10 times the amount of work that they're going to be doing the following day. So uh, the ramp up for the contractor starts The first roof they put on is day four after the initial notice to proceed task order. From that day one through four, the Corps of Engineers is required to do these assessments and get these work orders done so that they can quickly ramp the contractors up. The remote assessments have been critical in being able to do that because every one of the missions that I've been involved with, at that point in time when you're really needing to ramp up the production, there's no responder lodging because the priority of life safety is the most important thing at that point in time, not roofs. It's getting the power back on. So the linemen are really taking all the resources. The medical search and rescue, that's the priority. But quickly, that priority within the first three to four days then shifts to this mass care, trying to get people back into their home protect their property. And that has really helped to bridge that gap of not being able to send people down there, but yet still being able to make progress on the the mission. Right. And for Hurricane Laura, I was keeping up with the numbers pretty closely. And I think in the first week or so after we got the mission from FEMA, I think over 90 percent of the assessments were being done remotely from Omaha District. And that greatly improved our ability to get those work orders to the contractor. Instead of us putting focus on boots on the ground that early, we could feed them from those remote assessments. 
Yeah, right. No, that's a great point. And I remember just personal experience. I live here in Mobile and I work out of the Readiness Support Center in Mobile, Alabama. And during Hurricane Ida last year in, in 2021, we had a whole host of your QAs here in the RSC uh, working out of one of our larger training rooms doing those remote assessments. And it was just such a cool thing to see that even though the impacted area was a couple states away in Louisiana, there was so much impact and critical work being being done in a totally separate area. I think that's a really cool innovation that you guys have been able to weave into the program. Yeah, and that was a, a best practice that we learned from last year is that, you know, as I alluded to before, we, we really need to calibrate everybody on the mission. So we do need that training component. We need everybody together because there's nuances and the focus of teaming to get this done. Without having any of that responder lodging available in Louisiana, being able to come to Mobile and be able to start operations was critical to the success of the mission. So Josh, one more innovation I wanted to touch on before we start wrapping things up here was I know you had some sort of pilot program last year looking at a different sort of temporary roof solution. So I was wondering if you could walk us through that, what it was and what it looked like. Yeah, so following the 2017 season, FEMA Region 2 came to me and asked me to look at a product. Really, all it is is shrink wrap. You'll oftentimes see boats being shrink wrapped with the material at the end of the season so they can take it out of the water for protection. So they uh, asked me to look at that. And we'd been trying to pilot that as a temporary roofing solution. Just none of the missions that I'd had really lent itself well from an execution standpoint to take on additional responsibilities. The goal with the shrink wrap was to try and find something that may be more resilient and test it, something that socially vulnerable population could rely on a little bit longer than what the temporary roofing, the current methodology is. And the current methodology you know, I talked a little bit about how we put penetrations in the roof and how it does damages. The shrink wrap doesn't have penetrations or nearly the amount of penetrations. So uh, we were hoping it would be a, a more resilient product, less penetrations, and hopefully withstand wind better. But what I'll tell you, too, about the current methodology of the Blue Roof is that we did get a mission where we were able to see what the resiliency of that product is. So for Hurricane Laura, if you recall, Lake Charles, where Laura, we did the temporary roofing in. We also had Hurricane Delta come through. So Yeah, we, just a few weeks later, right? That's right. And so right when we were wrapping up the Laura mission, we had Delta come through. And while it wasn't good for anybody there, it did give us a baseline of how resilient our product is. And what we found was that with the hurricane force winds that came through, 88% of the roofs that were installed from Hurricane Laura prior to Delta withstood the wind speed. So that's, that's a tremendous endorsement to what we currently do. Uh, so we're trying to further innovate for this program. And that's what the shrink wrap is, is how can we you know, service houses that uh, maybe aren't ineligible. So for instance, putting a, a nail through tile roofs doesn't work very well. The tiles shatter, so we end up doing a lot more damage. So tiles are not eligible under our current program. Flat roofs are not eligible either because there's seams in the 20 by 100 foot roll. And anytime you have a seam with a flat roof, you're going to have water penetrate into the home. 
Also, some major holes in the roof make it very difficult to apply that plastic sheeting as well, again, because of the seams and the sag and the water that would come in. So we wanted to pilot this new type of a material, and we were able to do so in the Hurricane Ida response, and it was very successful. So right now we're, we're, we did 19 homes in Hurricane Ida just to test it out. You know, the end result is it is more expensive it is definitely more resilient. There's no seams, so that leaking that you get, it does not require the same amount of penetrations, if any. And then, you know, it's a little bit slower, two to three times slower to install. And then there's an added safety consideration in that to uh, shrink the shrink wrap, you have to use an open flame. So there's issues with that. Not Nothing that can't be overcome, but things to consider. So we're trying to figure out now, based on the pilot project, is this something that we want to incorporate in the program and how we incorporate in the program, if so. So that's that's one of the off-season goals I have, is to continue to work with FEMA and headquarters USACE leadership to identify if this is something that we want to do for the temporary roofing program. Wow, it sounds like a really cool pilot, though. Yeah, it was it was really neat. You know, like I said, the past missions didn't really lend itself towards this because we were always making improvements in the program and always trying to learn as we went. This year, I felt like we had learned that the system worked as intended throughout the entire mission. So it gave the St. Louis team the ability to execute something on top of what they normally would. And they did a great job in in doing this pilot project. And initial feedback from FEMA and headquarters leadership is that they like what they see, and we're going to try and see what we can do to move out on it. So. Well, then that leads me to my last question. Obviously, right now we're in the off season, though I don't know when you know this particular episode will be released. But how are you getting ready for the upcoming hurricane season? What goes on in that off season that people might not uh, really understand if they're not working in emergency management all the time? So yeah, there's a lot of refinements that go on in the off season. There's a big programmatic shift that I'm looking at. So one of the challenges that we have now within my program is that we get ROEs on day one. And if we issue a task order on day one, it's not till day four. So if you put it day four that you have the first installation. So if you look at this from a survivor, you sign up for it. We get 15,000 right of entries within 24 hours, and we're not doing the first roof install until four days after. And even at that pace, at that, we ramp up to 200 roofs per day per contractor within 10 days. So let's say that we have 20,000, 30,000 ROEs, and by day 10, we're maybe doing 400 roofs per day. That doesn't look really good from the optics. Now, it is a heavy lift to ramp up huge logistical lift. So to put it in perspective, one crew, which is made up of typically five roofers, can do between one and a half to three roofs per day. If we're doing 200 roofs per day, naturally speaking, they get better as the mission moves along. But let's say, you know, we have 100 crews out there that's 500 people. So for the contractors to be able to bring in 500 people to train them, to get them, you know, all the services that they need, the lodging, all of the materials, it's a heavy lift to get this thing off the ground. So we're looking at ways to innovate a faster start. And one of those ways is potentially moving the requirement to do assessments from the Corps of Engineers to the contractors. 
And what that would mean is that we could potentially reduce the number of QAs that the core needs and the contractors would go out and acquire the imagery after the storm so that we could see what the damages are. The contractors would assess the home and draw up a scope of work and then we would utilize the Blue Roof Management System to push that scope of work to the Corps of Engineers where we would remotely be assessing what the scope of work looks like, ultimately, if it's accurate, signing off on it, and then the contractor could begin to immediately install. We're also looking at the possibility of the contractors having a mobilization line item so that they could possibly be put on standby, so have 10 crews available right out of the gate and be able to start installing immediately versus waiting, having a flyaway kit with all of the plastic that they need for the first 500 roofs. So we're looking at innovating, trying to come up with ways to not only acquire the right of entries quicker, but to actually install that the roofs quicker. Okay. Well, I mean, it's just so fascinating. You know, I work in emergency management every day, and it's still so fascinating to me because it's easy to forget, um, and especially folks who don't work in emergency management, when you see those blue roofs out there, you know, on the news or in the, you know, online or, or whatever, how much work goes into getting that blue plastic sheeting onto a roof. And so, you know, I really appreciate you taking us through kind of uh, just an overview and an inside look at this mission with us today. Just want to say thank you again, Josh and Patsy, for joining us today on this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. And to our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Be revolutionary.